Welcome to the Side Hustle and Business Show with Eric Lindsay. Here at Moonlight, you will learn how to successfully operate side hustles and also businesses while having W-2 income or very minimal amounts of time. You will also receive advice from experts and gain actionable and up-to-date strategies to help you generate income immediately and even help you attain long-term wealth. Here at the Side Hustle and Business Show, we choose to focus on financial security and not job security. Today, we are here with Jonathan J.D. Dempson. Jonathan is a Philadelphia-based real estate investor, agent, and business owner that specializes in short-term rentals. This 28-year-old millionaire reached financial freedom before age 30 by building a portfolio of over 70 short-term rental units. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on Moonlight and uh, dive into a little more detail on some real estate. Well, we're definitely looking forward to hearing more about short-term rentals and also more about you as well. So with that being said, could you share just a little bit more about yourself and also how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been into real estate uh, from a young age. I actually collected uh, Monopoly boards as a hobby. I got one every Christmas and ended up with uh, around 40 of them before I stopped collecting. Uh, and then once I got out into the real world, uh, had a, a nice W-2 job. Um, I was living with a friend. He was he was essentially house hacking and I was paying rent to live in his attic. Uh, and that's when it clicked and I knew I needed to be the one renting out the rooms in my house. Uh, so I bought my first house and accidentally got into the short term waiting for a friend to move in. I rented out one of the spare bedrooms on Airbnb uh, and it made so much more money than I would have gotten just renting the room out uh, to a friend that I started buying houses purely for short term rental. Nice. So you jumped into the real estate investing realm based off of Monopoly. <laughs> that's great. Well, I love that game. And maybe that's something or some kind of correlation of that. If you love Monopoly, you would be really good at real estate. But you also stumbled into it because you became a tenant of your friend and renting out a room within his home and decided that you were going to get into that space as well. So you mentioned that you started doing Airbnbs. Could you just share with my listener base a little bit more about that Airbnb model? Is there some tips or some tricks or some strategies that work better than others? Yeah, uh, it's a loaded question, but I would say you definitely have to have uh, a sense for hospitality. You have to be like an outgoing person, friendly, and and want to talk to talk to other people because the short-term space requires quite a bit more work interaction with your guests as opposed to a long-term rental where you're signing the lease and then you're hoping not to hear from them for 12 months or more. Uh, short-term rentals are the opposite. You want to be as friendly as possible and interactive so that people are willing to leave you a good review. And then from there, the reviews are what really drive your revenue. You don't have to have the best or nicest place, even though in today's market, it's getting a little more saturated and you you definitely want to find something uh, that's a bit of a better offering. But I would say more important than like luxury and fancy is something unique. Uh, and it all goes back to being a good host. That's great. And you mentioned that it's a lot more work with the short-term rentals what would you say, is it more of a an expense ratio also that gets increased with that? Because it's almost 
a hotel or a hospitality model there, what would you say? Is it more expenses? Is your expenses a little bit more with the Airbnb model? They can definitely be a little bit higher. Uh, but if you're self-managing, it's it's really not that big of a difference in, in all actuality. You're collecting money from the guests as, uh, as soon as they check in. So most of the costs you're going to incur are going to be supplying the unit, cleaning the unit. Um, and then if there's anything you need to do to repair the unit from there, uh, but because you're getting the money in first, um, it's almost as if the guest is paying the cleaning anyway, uh, and the revenue is a lot higher. Expenses are a bit higher, but they're covered by the guest. Great. And you also mentioned that reviews are significant within that short-term rental space. Have you discovered any techniques that will get you better ratings or more reviews when you rent these short-term rentals out? Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, you want to make sure you have really good cleaners uh, and make sure the unit is clean. You want to make sure the interior design uh, is durable so that your furniture is always feeling and looking great. Uh, and more than anything, you want to be in communication with the guest. Uh, it's sort of like when you get an Uber. No, Not many people like having the chattiest Uber of all time, but someone who is friendly and gets in and greets you um, and just a smile goes a long way. And it's the same with short-term rentals. If you just check in on your guest. Uh, when they first check in and then somewhere throughout the stay, you end up getting a much higher uh, review rating. And a big thing that I do at the end is uh, reciprocity. So I will tell them that I'm giving them five stars and just by human nature, they will likely leave you five stars back knowing that. Moonlighters, that is a phenomenal strategy. Jonathan is using there. He's telling them that he's going to help them out. And in turn, it's almost human nature that they'll help him in response to that. So yeah, Jonathan, great strategy on that. If we could kind of circle back just a little bit in the beginning, you mentioned that you started with a W-2 job and that you were able to kind of build things up from there. Most of my listeners, they actually have W-2 income or a business in which they are garnering most of their income from. And so they're looking at investing in real estate on the side as an active person or as an LP. Could you just share what that looked like buying real estate while you were working? Exactly what did that look like on a day-to-day? Yeah, sure. So for me, I kind of got lucky that I got a, a smaller start in it and I was just renting out a spare room in my house. I don't think I would have had the confidence to go out and purchase houses purely for short-term rental without seeing it work within the home I was already in. So I was working a W-2 job. I actually bought a house in Philadelphia, even though I worked in New York City um, and I was making the commute, um, but I was renting my house out when I wasn't there um, and renting the spare room when I uh, had it on the market. So it helped me to see that that one spare bedroom in a four bedroom house was enough money to pay the entire mortgage for the four bedroom. After I saw that, I was able to confidently purchase uh, another four-bedroom house purely for the use of short-term rental. And I think when you get started, you want to self-manage. There are property managers available out there, but that's what really caught me into it. Um, Handling just one short-term rental when you're working another job is not all that difficult. Uh, Right now, my team manages uh, 100 short-term rentals. We have over 500 reservations a month. Uh, and there's over 5,000 messages that come in a month. But if you just kind of scale that back, um, you're you're not going to end up with 
uh, 5,000 messages if you only have one rental. Um, it's something that is uh, digestible. You're just going to, it's just like we all have our phones. We all text every day. Uh, it's almost like you're just texting uh, another friend throughout the day uh, when the guest messages come in. Um, and then other than that, you're just coordinating the cleaning. That's absolutely amazing that you recommend to do self-managing in the beginning. I can completely understand exactly where you're coming from with that because you first off, you learn firsthand as to what's all needed to be able to complete the transaction, how to operate and how to manage things. That way, when you are ready to turn it over, if you do turn it over to a property management company, you know the ins and outs as to what need to be done there. So yeah, great strategy. If you could share with us and the Moonlight listeners a transaction, how you located it, how you paid for it, and also how you operated it, if you would. Yeah, sure. So my general strategy when it comes to finding real estate, um, I do use the MLS, but I also uh, find off-market deals. Uh, and the way that I've always done this, um, I used to live in Philadelphia. And now I live in the Poconos, which is a vacation market here in Pennsylvania. Um, what I do is I just go out and I look at real estate. Back when I had my W-2 job, what I would be doing is on weekends, I was hitting every open house, talking to every agent that I could. Um, houses that were being worked on, I would talk to the de developer of the house. Uh, I was just talking to everyone I could within the real estate community. And that's how I would start to get notified of off-market deals coming in or upcoming builds that they had um, or kind of those pocket listings that some agents have. Uh, and I've been an agent uh, every year except for my first year as a real estate investor. Uh, so I'm not shy to use the MLS. And I think there are good deals out there, especially when it pertains to short-term rental. Uh, the reason being is not every investor is looking at a house as a short-term rental. So because there are so fewer people looking at it that way, you can still get houses that are either dropping in price that could be great short-term rentals um, just because they don't make sense for a traditional home buyer to move into. Uh, but that's kind of how I find my deals. It's just boots on the grounds, talking to as many people as I can and looking at as many places as I can. So on these short-term rentals, when you're looking on the MLS and also sourcing deals off market, are you looking to pay and get these properties at a discount or are you able to pay fair market value for these? I've paid fair market value uh, plenty of times. Um, obviously, if you can read the situation and you can reach out to whoever is the owner or listing agent and it doesn't seem like they have much activity, you're going to negotiate them down. Um, that's all part of real estate. But if you can tell it's a little bit competitive, but you are accustomed to wanting that deal, then you go for it. Um, I've always been in a believer that it's better to get a deal a little bit more um, as long as the numbers work, as opposed to spending three, six months searching for something that meets the exact criteria that you want. Nice, nice. So is the expense ratio on these short-term rentals a little bit different or what is the average expense ratio on these short-term rentals? So I like to look at it more from a rule of thumb um, because it gets really tricky to calculate the costs and expenses rental by rental. Um, you want the gross revenue expectation to be about 20% of the purchase price. So for example, if a house is going to make $100,000 a year as a short-term rental, um, you don't want it to be much more than $500,000. And that all factors in whether you're self-managing or managing. So I would underwrite everything as if another company was managing it. 
-hmm. as real estate investors, I know our goals are to become passive. Um, and even if you have to self-manage for, for a while just to make some extra cash flow and get to that point of scale, um, you still want to underwrite as if, as if you have a property manager. Okay, great. Yeah, that's great advice. You always want to go in just thinking about the end game, thinking about someone else managing because after a while, you will accrue quite a few properties if you stay after it long enough and stay active. And so you definitely want to always be prepared for having property management in place there. So what is your strategy? Are you going to hold these properties for a lifetime? Do you have a three to five exit plan or what is the end game for your exit strategy? That's another loaded question because every house is different. I would say the ones that I purchased earlier on, I'm more likely to let go of uh, because I purchased them when I was newer, maybe didn't know as much of what I know now. Um, so they might not look as as good of deals, but I also have a lot of equity in those initial deals. It's It's been five years. Um, the equity has started to pile up. The principal pay down has started to pile up. So letting go of some of my original purchases to roll into some newer purchases with the knowledge I have now has been the strategy. Uh, but at the same time, most most properties I want to hold for quite a long time. Uh, give you an example. I bought uh, five bungalows. Um, they're all studio one and two bedroom little cabins uh, up in the Poconos market. And they're very unique. They're something that I would not let go of just because of how unique they are. Um, likewise, I just bought a resort uh, at the end of last year. Um, that's 28 cabins across 11 acres that I'm renovating now. And these are properties that I would never let go of because I can't just let go of them and turn around and buy another one just like it. Um, mm -hmm. It's the houses I have that are a little more cookie cutter and I guess irreplaceable, if you will. Okay, great. Yeah, that's great information and something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. If you are going to get into that short-term rental space, just think about your exit strategy. What are you going to do in the long haul and maybe considering selling off some of the initial properties when you didn't have this, such a great knowledge base as you do in the end there? Just curious, how do you go about funding these properties? And once you do fund the properties and purchase them, do you operate and implement the birth strategy, fix them up and then rent them out and then refinance? That's a great question. So the first burr I've ever done is actually the resort. Um, I bought it for $4.3 million, uh, putting about $400,000 into it and hoping to refinance it around $6 million. Uh, that's my first one. Nice. Um, I hadn't, I had not really done it before. Everything else has been, uh, either new construction or already remodeled, uh, before I got it. And it was more about the interior design and placing it on the short-term market. Nice. Okay. And so you would just use the funds from the short-term rental to be able to pay off the mortgage monthly. So you wasn't doing any kind of refinancing on the properties. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So the way that I was able to scale pretty quickly uh, is I was house hacking. So I would just purchase a house, live in it for a year. Um, I had roommates, so I was never paying rent, able to save a lot more. A year later, I would move to a new house, short-term rental, the old house that I had already furnished and do it again. Um, I was buying houses in Philadelphia in the 400000 range uh, mm -hmm. that would make bring in about $60,000 net. So I was pocketing $20,000, $30,000 in cash flow a month, self-managed, uh, which at that rate, twenty dollars to $30,000 was a really good dent in putting down another 
down payment on the next house. Wow. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty unique strategy you got there. Yeah. Congrats on that. And congrats on making those short-term rentals work. I've heard quite a bit about the niche there, but just haven't looked into it. But it sounds like you're doing great at it. And you also have other businesses that you're operating at the same time. Could you speak towards that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I got into real estate because I wanted to be an investor, uh, be passive. I ended up getting my real estate license just so I could look at houses outside of the the open house window or having to coordinate with an agent. Uh, and I knew I was going to be continuing to purchase houses. So I figured why not have my license and kind of get a rebate every time I purchase. Um, not that you need a license to be a real estate investor. Uh, but at this point, um, I have a team of real estate agents. So I work as a short-term rental agent up here in the Poconos market um, and still in Philly. Uh, and I have a team of agents who help me out with that. Um, and then the other business I have is a short-term rental management company, uh, which happened more or less by accident. Uh, I had 10 short-term rentals. I realized it became not so much a passive investment and more of a, a second full-time job to what I was already doing. And at that point, I decided to bring on help. Um, and as I kept scaling, I kept building out a team to help me handle the rentals. And once I had all of that set up for my own rentals, I re realized I could very easily just help other people out and manage their units um, with the same systems I had. That's great that you were able to scale that and you started with self-managing and then was able to branch out and help others along the way. Hey, if we could, Jonathan, let's kind of turn the page a little bit. There's a component to this podcast that we like to call our Moonlight Coaching portion of the show. We're going to ask you maybe six to eight questions. If you could hold your response to between one to two minutes per question, that'd be excellent. Yeah, you got it. Okay, the first question is going to be, what is something that you wish you would have known before you started investing in real estate? I wish I would have gotten started with the Burr strategy a lot sooner. Um, it seems to be the fastest way to recycle your money um, and is a really good strategy to get started. Uh, at the same time, it's very important to work with a mentor earlier on. Um, contacts are everything in this business. So if you can work with someone who's already doing it, you're much more likely to get good referrals for contractors and other things. Uh, so I'd say getting a mentor and um, going for the burst strategy earlier on would have been two things I would have done. The burst strategy is phenomenal. You're able to buy something, fix it up, rent it out, and then pull out your cash in a process so that you can go and do it time and time again. So it's definitely a great opportunity for real estate investors. The next question we have is, how long did it take you to close on your first real estate transaction? So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, after I got the book for Christmas back in January 2017, and I had my house closed in April of 2018. So it was about a four-month window from shopping to closing. Um, and I would have closed sooner than that because I had another deal under contract. And during the final walkthrough, the roof had caved in um, the night before from a heavy rain. So I had to back out of that one, start searching again. Um, so it only took me a month or two after I kind of got the bug. Yeah, good thing you had that inspection clause within that contract there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing with with that was I put the first house under a contract when I had, I think I had $3,000 to my name. 
So what I did leading up to closing is I was just driving Uber uh, every weeknight and every hour uh, of every weekend between the time I got it under contract and closing. So I would have the, the 5% down payment to close on the house. Now that is initiative and that's effort. And that's what it takes to get things done. And it's boded very well for you, especially with you being able to attain millionaire status at the age of 28. So hats off to you for that. Thank you. Next question is, how do you balance your personal life and business as of today to ensure that both receive their proper attention? I know you're super busy. You have a lot going on with business and things like that. But how do you balance personal life and business and make sure that both continue to thrive? That's a difficult question. Uh, at this stage of my life, I find business to be my personal life. And I don't mean like I'm working uh, 16 hours a day and hating what I do. It's just that uh, my personal life is going out with some with friends to look at houses um, or taking trips to uh, vacation destinations. I've gone with my friends to Galveston, Texas. Uh, we've gone to Hawaii for a month at a time just to go look at property and hang out. Um, it's treating real estate as both a way to get an excuse to travel, um, mm -hmm. get an excuse to go <laughs> look at things. It's like a guilty pleasure looking at at houses. And uh, I do it with people that I, I like. So for me, there's there's no work-life balance. It's more of work, work and life. Uh, I don't need a, an escape from work. I'm in the same position that you are. So we take trips around like property tours and things like that. So while we're touring a property in Florida or somewhere like that, we enjoy ourselves along the way. And so it's almost like no separation, but we enjoy it. So it's not a drop off or something where we feel like we need to separate something at some point. Absolutely. Okay, so if a person had a very limited amount of time and money, what could they do to start a successful business like yours? Oof, if you're limited on both time and money, that's where it's going to get tough. Uh, I think at that point, it's really the knowledge that you need um, more than anything, uh, because anything is possible if you approach it with the right strategy. So if you're limited on time and you're limited on money, you're just going to have to make sure you're going down the right path to get there. Um, if you have, have a little more time, I think that allows you to kind of take the necessary steps to get started. Uh, like I'll give you an example. When I first started, like I said, I put a house under contract when I didn't have the money to close on it. And then I worked uh, a labor job to come up with the money for closing. Now, if I'm putting, uh, for example, a, a $4 million deal under contract without the money, uh, which I did for the resort project. Uh, I'm not just going to be able to go drive Uber to fix it and come up with the money for closing. Mm -hmm. um, so that took a different approach. I had to uh, raise money for that one. I raised $1.5 million for the purchase. Uh, and that just took a, a different strategy. Yeah, that's amazing. That's just being resourceful and looking at your options. That's something that you're going to have to do in all segments of life. But in particular, real estate, you need to see what you have available and capitalize on where you are at that point within the process. So last question is, if you were down to your last 100 bucks, had no experience and very limited amounts of time, what would you do to build a business like yours as of today? Limited time. So I would 
with a hundred bucks, I would buy five books uh, recommended by people that I meet at a local real estate meetup that are running the business that I would want to run. So I would first attend as a couple of real estate meetups in the very limited time that you have, even if that's the only thing you can do that week. Uh, meet some people who are doing what you want to be doing, ask them what books to read or what other events to attend, um, and use your money just to, to stay around those people until you get a, a bigger taste of what they're doing and how you can be more involved. Great answer. Education and connections, networking with others, it will get you indoors that you wouldn't imagine that you would be able to get into. And so you need the knowledge base and you also need the connections to the individuals that can help you along the way. Jonathan, great answers, great responses to each one of those questions. We're going to start wrapping things up and we always like to have our guests answer and give a great personal development book or a business development book that you would recommend for the Moonlight listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite book of all time is called Essentialism, and that's by Greg McCown. Uh, the book is essentially about how you need to focus on one thing and one thing only, uh, and how humans tend to try to do too many things. Maybe you're trying to invest in real estate, but also learn about Amazon FBA stores while you have a W-2 job and then a family at home. Uh, you need to try to make sure you're focused in one direction uh, and going all out in that one direction if you really want to see the progress and the, the process continue. Yeah, that's that tunnel vision, getting locked in instead of being so spread out that you can't really be effective. Yeah, great recommendation. I'll have to look into that. I haven't checked that one out myself. Jonathan, thanks for coming up to the show. We appreciate you dropping in with us today and we would love to have you back anytime. Is there any way for our Moonlight listeners to reach out to you? If someone wants to connect, maybe work with you or just learn from you, do you have a preferred method? Yeah, so there's two ways you can get in touch with me. Uh, the first one would be on Instagram, uh, at livefreewithjd. Uh, and then our website for all of our short-term rentals and everything, uh, me and a good way to get in touch is livefreehospitality.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Side Hustle and Business Show with Eric Lindsay. Please make sure to give us a five-star review, subscribe to this channel, and share this podcast with someone who is destined for success. Until next time, let's keep pursuing financial security, not job security.